Welcome to Unpack This Brain. So this is a podcast where we just basically unpack a lot of stuff. That's the premise. Um, I'm Josh and joining me, I've got Eunice. Hi. So um, listeners may recognize um, this voice from another podcast that Great Mates um, manages and produces. So if, I guess Eunice, if you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Mm-hmm. So my name is Eunice. Um, I have two dogs that I love a lot. <laughs> I I am a youth worker and also a counsellor. Hey. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Eunice will be, I guess in a way, let's rewind a bit. This is going to be a very unstructured um, podcast in terms of the way that we're getting content. So Eunice and I will be sort of, interview a bunch of our own counselling friends from uni. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we'll go from there. Maybe we'll do a few check-ins down the track. Mm-hmm. Maybe. So essentially we're going to be like co-host. Yeah. It's going to be a fun experience. Good. Um, so yeah, you graduated at the end of last yeah, year. I did. It's 2019. I did. How did you feel graduating? It was really exciting. I think that it was a bit sad and a bit exciting. So the exciting part was finally not having to stay up doing assessment <laughs> and finally being able to register and just and start working as a counsellor because mm. before, yeah, before that I wasn't a counsellor, I guess. So, yeah, so that was like the good part was like feeling like I'd done the qualifications so I could just mm. move on and actually start practising. So that was really good. And so the bit, the, the sad bit, was that I was um, leaving so many people behind, like so uh-huh. many people that I wouldn't be able to to start out uh, to see anymore. So like mm. the cohort that Josh and I started with, those people I wouldn't be able to see anymore, like in class. And mm. yeah, I just felt like, I, know, I felt like quite sad because there was really good times that we had that were like, really personal and reflective and we definitely like shared something like it was a sense of community I guess yeah that um I guess I wasn't gonna feel in person but we you know I could still obviously contact them on Facebook but it's not the same like it's just something we couldn't I wouldn't be able to have anymore in person yeah so yeah yeah I think that that is I guess something that we're also sort of feeling right now yeah in in the cohort that we're in because yeah and I guess to give listeners context, we are doing this as in 2020. So if you're listening this into the future, this is basically we're, we're I'm sort of documenting this um, for my own sort of experience, um, particularly because it's COVID-19 time. Yeah. It's a very interesting time, I guess, to be a mental health professional as well. Yeah. Um, after graduating and after registering, and now being a mental health professional in this sort of time in the pandemic, yeah, how do you feel? I think that it's really highlighted the importance of self-care and looking after myself so that I can look after other people. Mm. And I know that a lot of mental health 
professionals and people and just workers who work with people will say that um, self-care is really important but I think because now we're going through a global pandemic together so obviously as a as a mental health professional I'm still go I'm, I'm also being affected and having to go through it too but then also having to support other people that are going through it so I guess it's just about um trying to make sure that I'm okay and that I'm surrounding myself with good people. Um, so it's really highlighted that. And yeah, I know that there's a lot of like a lot of negatives involved, but I kind of want to focus on the positives and it's been nice to, uh, I guess after everyone sort of had the, the freak out and, you know, the stockpiling and all that sort of stuff that was happening. Uh, people, I think people are starting to be more unified now and there's communities that are banding together like, for example, the people that live in my suburb, like, we have a Facebook group okay. and everybody, like, talks on there and people are reaching out to elderly, to the elderly and saying, like, I'm going to go shopping at this particular time. I can pick mm. something up for you. So it's also highlighted that, that people are also banding together in, a, in, like, a really strong way to help each other because they, I guess, well, I don't know the, the exact reasons, but it seems like it's because we're all going through it together. And I guess that gives us like a sense of, um, of, of community and of going through, um, what's it like being unified in something? Mm, mm, yeah. Mm. I guess, yeah, that, that is something that I've also noticed too. Like in Filipino, we have the, the word called like bayanihan, which is a very difficult word to translate to English, but it is essentially a sense of community spirit. Yeah. So that is ever present, but I also really want to acknowledge, I guess, that this pandemic has also is also a very big example of very big case study in terms of privilege and accessibility. Mm. Um, not a lot of people who are essential workers will be and their families, I guess, will be fortunate enough to actually stay at home. Yeah. I guess that's one of the important things as well. And those who are not earning as much money also have issues, you know, not being able to stay home because they need to work, they need to survive. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's also the government's response as well, I think, has shown that... Um, you know, they they have to fa they're going to favor people whether we like it or not. Mm. I think the biggest example is um, most recently when we're recording this episode, uh, the government, federal government, basically said to the international students, "If you need to go home um, because we can't support you, that is, I think, a big, big mistake because not only do international students bring you know they generate a lot of money for the economy mm. as in they pay three to four times as much as we do as domestic students mm. but also they generate econ um, money for the economy in terms of output as well yeah you know, um, international students are generally the ones that are working the gig economy so drivers on in uber uber eats yeah you know and um, or they work in the restaurants as well. Yeah. So it's those sorts of things. I think it's good that we are developing community, but we need to acknowledge that 
the systems that are supporting Australia aren't necessarily supporting all its residents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's something important that people would rather forget. And it's, I think, as, a, as someone who um, mentors and looks after a huge bunch of international students, I think it's something that I can't ignore mm. because it's very hard. You know, so I've seen some friends of mine have to go back to their home country because yeah. um, for whatever reason... Um, maybe they want to go back because family. Yeah. Family is something very important to them. Um, money as well. Yeah. Finances. So it's one. Of, it's those decisions. I think we can't let stay idle. Mm. That's one of the things. And yeah, it's going to be a very long road ahead too. Yeah. So. Hmm. Yeah, it definitely will be. And I think we got to take it one day at a time because I think that when hmm. I get the most overwhelmed is when I remember that it's gonna be a long road so i just try and think like yeah it's gonna be a long road but let's just focus one day at a time and it kind of keeps me um a little bit calmer like it probably won't work for Mm. everyone but yeah it's uh, yeah it's gonna be interesting yeah i think i think it will be i think everyone is sort of settling down into the idea of we're going to be doing this for six months minimum Mm. yeah um, it could actually get a lot worse in terms of, you know, not being able to go out. Yeah. That's also something that in other countries that we're also seeing as well. Yeah. Um, hmm. So, yeah. Um, did you have any questions for me? Uh, while we are sort of sitting in the COVID-19 sort of thing. Yeah. It's just how, how have you been going in regards to it? It's been a... Not gonna lie, it's been an emotional roller coaster, I think. Mm. Um, so, especially in my capacity as a student in counseling. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing, especially as a student who is in final year going into clinic. Um, I was very fortunate before, um, before we all sort of started shutting down that I managed to see a client. So that yeah. was really good. Um, not a lot of the cohort managed to get mm-hmm. clients in time, yeah. which is disappointing. But again, it's one of those things like the clinic really, uh, we were sort of told about like a lot of the clients we probably, there's a very high um, no-show rate, which is something that I was very interested in wondering why, you know, um, for our, for the university it's like 20 bucks mm. on the concession is honestly honestly it's a bargain, it's, it's a bargain. <laughs> you know as, bargain. as as um when we go into private practice yeah we have the opportunity yeah. of charging something like 150 dollars an hour I, yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and it it intrigues me to to get to know the re- i really want to know just why why people um, members of the public especially like yeah you know this is a practice and um for qt's sort of clinic wise we run reflecting team work yeah so you get three additional people three or four additional people yeah, for the price of one, the price of one. <laughs> less than the price well, of yeah one. actually less than the um, price of you one. know we're not being really paid less. we're not we as students can't be paid for this yeah so it's it's going to the uni and 
yeah, my client was the one that said, you know, um, I wish I could access this, you know, frequently because mm. you're getting four perspectives, five perspectives of the less than the price of one yeah. you know, in terms of private practice. Yeah. But um, as we started shutting down, as, as Australia started getting more and more conscious and aware of the gravity of what was going on, yeah. um, we had to make some decisions, I guess, you know, for the welfare, obviously for the welfare of the students. Um, so at this point in time, we're not seeing anyone. Um, it's mid-sem break right now um, when we're recording this, so we're not going to see anyone. But when we come back from mid-sem break, we are probably only going to be seeing um, within within the entire cohort itself. We're going to be doing some supervision stuff. Yeah. Um, otherwise, we're going to maybe explore the option of also doing supervision with professionals. Yeah. Which is also a good, you know, it's a good thing. I think for some of us, we were just a little bit disappointed we weren't going to be able to counsel the public at this time. Yeah. I think we both know that this time is a going to be a very interesting experience for everyone. Yeah. So access to mental health is something I think we'd all want to see as, as counsellors and therapists. It's... Yeah, th- this is going to be a very interesting few months ahead. and Yeah, mm. yeah I really do wonder how it's going to be if if people, you know, if mental health professionals, because I know a lot of have moved on to online practice now. Mm. I wonder if they're going to see less or more of people. Like, I just wonder what, what um, just being online is going to mean and if it's mm-hmm. going to bring more people because they don't have to travel or it kind of takes away that whole like seeing like some people get nervous face to face like in person face to face or if it's going to actually have you're going to have less clients because they want to be face to face or yeah. i don't know like it's just going to be interesting to see what this um situation of only being able to do online or phone counseling is going to do Mm. Like, will it be more accessible or will it not be? I think that's that's the thing that we're also asking ourselves is, like, online counselling is such a good medium, I think. Mm. But I would say that it only maybe is appealing to certain demographics. Yeah, I don't think about I would that, think actually. our generation is very comfortable with yeah. that. Yeah. Um, maybe our parents' generation and that sort of age group, maybe yeah. less so. But, right. yeah, and you're thinking about, you know, accessibility-wise, sure, everyone, everyone has a smartphone or everyone has some form of computer, but internet is also a big thing yeah. that, you know, infrastructure-wise um, is one of those things that we need to be aware of. And is it stable? Is it not stable? Yeah. What happens if the client or you drop out for any reason? What happens then? Yeah. And confidentiality as well. That's the big thing. That's a big thing that I've had a discussion with a few others in the cohort, actually, or like in um, in like, yeah, in the cohort that I graduated with. Mm, mm, mm. So we had like a big Zoom meeting. Yeah. And yeah, we spoke about just about um the stuff that the confidentiality between us, like just us us counselors talking together. Mm. And yeah, that was not something that came up because a lot of people, you know, everyone's you know at home. So yeah. we wondered about confidentiality, like do people have a room that they can go into that no one will hear? Or, mm. you know, if like if it's a young person, like, you know, will they will they not say certain things because their carers are around or like mm. the parents are around? So yeah, it does definitely add some extra elements to it. Mm. And yeah, that's that's the thing, is always like what are the ethics around doing this 
at home. Mm. I think, especially for those of us who are living with family, it's like you don't want really want your parents listening on on counseling conversations. So that's one of those things that, like, I am very aware of. So I think I make the decision not to, um, you know, any of those counseling stuff that we do, sort of any clinic time. I try and push myself to be on campus, at least, you know, distance, like, my family from that. Yeah, and it also (laughs) is the physical separation. Yeah. Um, That's sort of the considerations we have to, I think, actively think as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, it's, like, not only for us, but also for the clients. Yeah. The clients that we see. Mm. It is a very interesting time to, to sort of... Be in this, and I guess when we're looking forward to, um, because we'll also be interviewing some of our um, fellow like counseling students from my cohort. Maybe we'll also get some from last year's cohort as yeah. well to hop on board. Yeah. Um, are there any questions you'd like to ask? Just put out into the world, I guess. Hmm. <laughs> we might explore in the future. That we could explore in the future. That's a that's an interesting thought. I'm always interested in like what what um what people's like passions are. I know this might sound like really cliche, but like what gets you up in the morning? Like what is it that you know keeps you going? Mm. Kind of thing. So I'd I'd like to ask people that. Yep. And I would also like to ask because you know it's we are in this global pandemic stage at the moment with covid Mm. and we're going to be interviewing them i I think it'd be a good opportunity to mention it just because like you said we could look back on this in like five years time and be like this is how you know we we coped and what Mm. we did you know to help each other and and stuff like that so Mm. maybe talking asking them about how their routines have changed and like um Mm -hmm. And how they're coping with the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. What else? Can you think of anything? Um, I'm thinking, I guess, in terms of skills-wise, how do we um, translate what we do in terms of in-person therapy? Mm -hmm. How do we adapt those same sort of skills and apply them to a virtual context? Mm. Um, because we do a, all all our practice right now has been always in person. Yeah. So, and the way that we do things can be very interactive, and we're encouraged to do that. Yeah. So I'm curious to know what sort of strategies um, we're we're going to be using, and I guess exploring in terms of how do we bring the social constructionist framework um, from in person and adapt it to that virtual context to maintain our practice yeah it's something that i'm curious to know what the others would would be doing as well yeah Mm. that's a good question i guess we're lucky in that um it is talk therapy because i just had a thought where some people would have trained and say uh, like play therapy Mm. and stuff that's more physical i guess that would be i don't know how that would translate into online Mm. but i guess with our social constructionist because it's a it's like a um, I was going to say epistemology. <laughs> I don't want to use that word. It's like a it's like a theoretical base. Um, 
and it's something that I, I know. Guess... I know some of our <laughs> lecturers who would love that word. <laughs> I don't want to say it, um, but yeah, it's a theoretical base, and mm-hmm. I guess it, it can translate into all sorts of therapy um, yeah. types of therapy um, modes of therapies. What yeah, I wanted yeah. to say. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, th- mm-hmm. I can really see it translating into online counselling, but and, but it would be really cool to ask practically how others. Um, are doing that yeah yeah just when you were talking about you know play therapy i was actually having a discussion with one of the full-time people in in clinic right now um and i actually posed the question what if what if therapists utilized games like minecraft to conduct therapy Just an open question. Can 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 we can we speak about Animal Crossing? And, sure, because and that's a big mood yeah, right now. Because I don't know much about Minecraft, but it's kind of similar it's, to Animal uh, Animal Crossing. Yeah, I pl- I play Animal Crossing. Yeah, so and you know. I, that's interesting. I, like using it. Do you mean like using it as a re- as a resource? As a for resource, clients to use. Hmm. Yeah, and I think. Not necessarily just for children, because well, Minecraft maybe mostly for children, but yeah. if we're talking Animal Crossing, we're talking our generation. <laughs> so I would be very curious to know if, mm. like the, you know, the practicalities of using something like Animal Crossing, yeah, because well, you know, from a, from a from a from a from our framework as social constructionists. Technically, we we can do everything. We can use anything. Yeah, we can be really creative with it. Yeah, and I'm thinking, like, I'm thinking <laughs> about the house. So you know, you can yes. in Animal Crossing if someone is listening after your after you after you pay off your mortgage yes. to Tom Nook. Yeah, well, while you're paying the loan, <laughs> you can already be decorating your house and doing things with it. So maybe like even if you use it as a resource, you know, mm. you could ask the client to decorate a certain. Part of the house, or yeah. like a ro- or like a room. If you've got, if you're already at that stage of your life where you have a second room, yeah, and like the way you feel today, and yeah. then they would decorate in that certain way, and yeah. then you could have a discussion about, mm. you know, so like you know why the room is this color and stuff yeah. like that. That could be really fun, yeah, and interesting. But yeah, mm. and I'm also very curious how how we can use a reflecting team experience crossing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, there's so many ways we can approach it. I guess from our basis. Yeah,、mm. it really could be. It's very, it's good because we can we can actually be really creative and it still be a social constructionist framework. Yeah. Yeah.、Mm. I guess we need to break that down for for listeners who may not be familiar with social constructionism.、Um, yeah. What's your take on social constructionism? <laughs> oh, I feel like I'm back in uni. <laughs> <laughs> As a TLDR, too、yeah. long didn't read. What、yeah. What is a summary of social constructionism? Yeah, I think to me it's it's like、um, a way of looking at the world in which you believe that people are influenced by their Um, culture, by religion, by just anything that's around them, by family.、Mm. So I think that's what social constructionist is, is to me. Is that I view other people in a、mm. way that these people are being influenced by everything that is around them,、mm. and they have、mm. a truth that is their truth, and、yeah. that's based on 
you know, their inf- what influences them and their experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's how that's I see really it. That's a really good explanation. Yeah, how, because yeah. Hmm. How about you? Do how you would I? <laughs> how would I summarize social constructionism? Um, much in the same way as you, I yeah. think, as social constructionists, we acknowledge um, the person's objective truth. And that story that they carry with them. We talk a lot about lenses, um, of how we perceive the world. And social constructionism is, it's where you acknowledge the perception. Mm. But I think we, in, in sort of, in therapy and delivering therapy, conducting therapy or having conversations, um, in a therapeutic way is we try and change the focus from this, main story to an alternate story that is beneficial for whoever we're talking with. Mm. I think that's the biggest thing is that we have to show, we have to show our clients that there is an alternate story that they may not be listening to, but is very apparent to us. Yeah. That's the biggest, I guess that's the biggest learning from, from my time uh, yeah, at uni is that doing this course is that, you're not, you don't have to, and you also don't have to listen to the alter, um, the dominant story. Mm. You're, you're trying to, you acknowledge it, but you're actually trying to find the good, the positive, or you're curious about something. What is it that um, motivates your client to do what they want to do? Yeah. Yeah. So, I've, I've always um, had this thing where I have, it's, um, I'm always very aware of trying to balance the acknowledging and then the alternative story. Because mm, 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 I remember mm. that when I first started, I always wanted to move straight into the alternative story. Ah. And then I, and I think this might be a mixture of going to counseling as a client yeah. and then like as be, being a supervisee and mm. then being a counselor mm-hmm. is that there's like, there's a balance between um, like listening to the dominant story. So like the dominant, I guess, if people don't know what that means, is like a problem saturated story mm-hmm. or a story that kind of is, is more around like The issues. client wants to tell that story. Yeah. So that I feel like I'm always very conscious about balancing, like mm-hmm. listening to that and asking questions about that. Mm-hmm. And then like also slowly putting in questions that talk about a different, an alternative story, which is more stri- like strength-based and focuses mm. on... Uh, focuses on things that the uh, like focuses on relationships and the ways that the clients are coping. Yeah. So yeah, it's mm. balancing it. Yeah. I guess f- reflecting back on your time in clinic when you were pract- when you were in placement, was there were there anything any sort of big revelations for you or big things that came to you towards the end of your um, placement, like yeah. in terms of practice? Yeah. I think the biggest thing that was just like a very overall thing was that it gave me confidence in the process Mm -hmm. because when I first started I had like a year of of the theory side of things Mm -hmm. at a master's level like one year before I started actually seeing clients Mm -hmm. and at that point when I first started I I knew theoretically but I still didn't trust the process you know because I was still like nervous and I still um I don't know like I felt like I was 
over preparing and, and stuff like that. And when you prepare, it doesn't, it never really goes that way. <laughs> like, I don't even know, like, how I would, how I would prepare because you don't know what the client's actually going to bring in. Or you might have an idea if it's like not an initial session, if it's, if they've seen you a few times. But like, mm. having said that, I saw a client for, many many sessions probably like over 10 um, but you know I still wouldn't know what he would come in with because one day he might he might talk about what we were talking about the last session because mm-hmm. it really depends on what ha- had happened in the past two weeks so yeah I think the biggest thing I've learned is is to trust the process so like mm. to have the tools there and you know you use the tools but not necessarily um, over preparing or or being in my head too much because if I'm in my head too much I'm not listening and being present with them and mm. they i know they can tell <laughs> and i can tell her, and it doesn't seem genuine then yeah so it's like when when i finally learned to like trust the process and relax mm. i felt more relaxed and i and i know that and i'm sure that the client would have felt it as well mm. and you can always get feedback as well if you do yeah. that's something that i also learned always <laughs> get feedback if you don't if you feel clunky and you're like oh, i don't know if i'm actually doing this right you can always mm-hmm. ask them and that's the best way to know because they're the clients so they know if they feel uncomfortable or mm-hmm. they like the way you're counseling or do they want you to do something different. Yeah. Yeah. I think trusting the process is also a very big sort of thing for a lot of us. Um, yes, relating it to my experience, I think I understood, like, you can only plan so much, so yeah. you just got to go with the flow. And I think that sort of hit me... Um, Sem one twenty nineteen. So that was when I was like, you know what? There's there's the structure. Yeah. Give it to you know because we're still in the context of doing role plays in in class and whatnot. Yeah. So that was a lot easier. I think going from that role play to um, therapy shift is slightly harder because yeah. You're operating in, in, in the role play situation, you're operating in a safe environment with yeah. people who know the content, who understand it. So it's yeah. not hard. Yeah. Um, it's jumping to real clients who are presenting with real things, who carry their own, you know, baggage, whatever you call it. Yeah. Um, there's also that hesitation of you don't want to fuck up. Yeah. That's the biggest, I think that's the biggest thing that you think of uh, certainly when I sat down with my client um those things like I don't want to mess up what am I gonna yeah but again I, I think it's also building that awareness of you're in this environment to make mistakes yeah it's a safe enough environment where you're allowed to experiment yeah so it's also yeah in the in the sort of first like three minutes of me my first session with the yeah. client, I was like shit 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 shit. <laughs> um, but after that, I was like, okay, I I think I'm calming down now. Yeah, I think that's everyone's sort of first. I would think that if if people in my cohort who had were fortunate enough to get a session with the client, yeah, they would also sort of Say that. feel that and then be able to let go and trust the process. Yeah. It's like learning anything. It's like when you first ride a bike without mm. training wheels and you're like, shh, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm going to fall. It is very much that sort yeah. of, you know. And then once you can do it, you might still fall off, but but you feel more, I guess, confident and trusting that the bike will you'll be able to stay on the bike. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Now that you're 
private practice, is there something that you miss about the reflecting team process? And I, okay, I will unpack reflecting teams, I guess. Yeah. Um, our sort of foundation for reflecting team practice is based in Tom Anderson's. If it's I recall, an, it's, Anderson, it's an Anderson. But I don't know what his first name is. But it's oh, an it's Anderson's it's Anderson, model. Yes, yeah. Anderson's model of reflecting teams, which is an evolution on top of the Milan School of Family Therapy. Yeah. So in in our application of the Anderson technique of using reflecting teams, um, we have an initial conversation with the clients, and then we invite we basically swap rooms because we have two rooms. Um, where the reflecting team sits behind the glass, the glass window, um, looking into the therapy room where, for example, myself and the client will be sitting together having an initial conversation. Um, and then I invite the reflecting team to come in and they have a discussion. Mm. We, myself and the client, will go into the other room behind the mirror. We take notes and then we swap rooms again. And um, yeah share any sort of reflections on the reflecting team it's yeah. very hard to say reflecting on the reflecting, <laughs> on the reflecting team, team. Um, are we reflexing then <laughs> uh, oh that's a very good question <laughs> we're reflecting on no you're reflecting reflections. on reflections but but not oh, reflection oh, this is the thing but it's not our own reflections it's like no. someone else's reflections yes that we're reflecting on so yeah. maybe it's not reflexive no no because <laughs> reflection <laughs> a ref- a reflexion x i o n yeah. is is a meta thing that yeah. you do to you your reflect own reflection your own reflection yes. of a situation <laughs> <laughs> oh reflection reflection so inception oh. yeah. yes, it's reflection that's, a, <laughs> that's one of those things um yeah yes, that's is a it, good question what do you miss about the reflecting team experience yeah. well i actually haven't seen any clients in my private practice yet because mm. i'm still trying to launch it properly yeah. um, and just still trying to build it. But I've already thought about how I would incorporate a reflect, like it wouldn't be an actual team of people, mm. but I'm, I'm thinking of ways to incorporate the the concept of a reflecting team, but I'll just be my own reflecting or the client's own reflecting team. Yep. So it's like, and I think I might do that. Mm. I don't know if this will actually work in, in practice, but you know, when you're taking notes, um, Somewhere in the middle where the reflecting team would be, mm-hmm. do a little summary. Yeah. Because I've actually, my supervisor does as I just noticed. And I wonder if she does this on purpose. I haven't asked her. But okay. like in, in the middle, she'll start like summarizing what we've already talked about. And it kind of mm-hmm. sounds like a reflecting team. Yep. It's, it sounds like somebody talking about the conversation that myself and her are having. But it's mm-hmm. it's her who's having that conversation. Yeah. But it's kind of like refreshing and it also makes me think oh she's like she's listening to me and she's written it down she remembers what we talked about mm-hmm. um and she can bring up like other things that maybe she wasn't able to ask me mm-hmm. in the flow of the actual of the session yeah. so i think that i'd like to do something like that mm. but yeah but maybe case by case though maybe it just depends yeah. if you're really if we're really into it i probably wouldn't mm. necessarily summarize but if there's space somewhere Mm-hmm. Or I'll just well, actually, you know, I can do. I can ask the client. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I can ask that's the also client a good thing. If like they want to hear some, some like yeah, if we want to try out this thing, mm. I don't know. I'm just shopping it in my head though. I'm not too sure yeah, how yeah. it's going to go in 
practice, but yeah, yeah I, I want to incorporate somehow. Mm, and that's sort of the thing. If if I end up in you know doing private practice, and think that's one of the things I'll miss about the reflecting team experience is the ability for them to provide those perspectives. Yeah. Um, and I know that the you know some of our lecturers have brought up the idea of doing that sort of bringing that reflecting team experience into private practice and by saying stuff like I had a, you know a colleague of mine um, blah 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 use those use your the your experiences of a reflecting team bring in what you notice about members of the reflecting team and then implement that into your thought process mm, yeah sort of like um it's different to outside a witness because that's just one Why person. You bring in multiple people and multiple ways of thinking into how do you look at the same thing using different eyes, I guess, at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. That's what, a very interesting. Is that like, for example, is that what, like, if they would say, oh, if my my colleague was were here, here, they might ask yeah. ABC. Oh, okay. Yeah. I can kind of see that working. Yeah. yeah. I think, but I think that requires a, um, a long time you getting you and your colleagues i guess working together for a long time yeah because i don't think you'd be able to do that you know with only one interaction or two interactions with your team yeah that is true i think it takes a significant maybe a year maybe longer yeah to know like to know what are the what what are the patterns yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like what they would ask in this kind of situation actually i can see how that works like because you because i was in clinic last year working Mm with the same people and like the same supervisors and mm-hmm. sometimes I think when my supervisor isn't there mm-hmm. I'm like oh my, like you know he would ask this question because mm-hmm. like that's a question he usually asks yes. and he thinks in this like one of my supervisors liked to um to break the the dyad is that how you say it? like you know how someone says this or that yep. it's either this or that mm. he would always add a third option it's not yeah and he would always like not always but he would often ask a client like you said this and you said that but what about this third this third option Mm -hmm. like this third way of looking at things yeah and yeah i guess that's that's kind of an example you'd bring that in when you're speaking Mm. to a client yeah and be like if my colleague were here yeah yeah, that works that's a very i guess interesting technique to pull in as well i feel like Devil's Advocate would also be a very good, you know, if if you were game enough to sort of, and you were comfortable enough, you and your client were in a sort of very strong therapeutic relationship. Yeah. You could do something like Devil's Advocate and, you know, why aren't you doing this? What? Because then it forces your clients to reflect on what they've said and um, it's not forcing in a way. You're, you're sort of getting them to actually see, assess what they've said, I think. And it's, yeah getting them to formulate a response based on this particular opinion yeah which i which i find very intriguing i think that's one of the things i guess i'm i would love to do play devil's advocate in terms of a therapist in in the mode of a counselor but obviously you need to weigh it up with you know who your client is and how comfortable they'd be a good relationship that's true though when you have a good relationship you can be really open about like Oh, like being play more playful, I guess, mm, and you mm, could mm. start doing playing playing devil's advocate. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's sort of the thing I I find and I enjoy about what we do and the approach that we come from, because I'm sure a lot of people have impressions of what 
when we say therapy, what do people think of? And yeah. I think a lot of people think of the couch where <laughs> the you couch. lie down <laughs> and, the and your therapist is there <laughs> sitting in a chair next to you with Just... a notepad and glasses and a pen and say, tell me about your childhood. Yeah, yeah. You know, we think you know that that is very much a media sort of perpetuated view on thing because that's how I saw therapy and um, Fraser. Fraser is a well, actually no, Fraser is a very different one, and maybe we'll talk about that in a different episode about media's depictions of therapy. Can we do an episode because there is something I wanted to talk about, but I can't remember for the life of me the movie. Mm. It was a, it was like a really bad movie, but the way they depicted the counselor in it was really good. But I'll I'll come back to you in another episode because I I forgot. I think I think that's something that we we can. It's a very fun episode. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. yeah. But I think when we come back to that Freudian, Jungian um, view on therapy, I think of The Simpsons, mm-hmm. for some reason, <laughs> Tell for me some more. reason, um, I think there was an episode, there, there has to have been multiple episodes where they, they depict psychology, therapy, counselling as this Freudian, you know, the couch thing and yeah. tell me about your childhood. Yeah. And that's not the, sure I think that's the yet. biggest, the biggest thing I think is to tell people is therapy is not only yeah. it's the, not the, only the, the couch and tell me about your, your childhood. childhood. <laughs> yeah. Although it can be if you want to. Yeah. We are not, we, I, from our social constructionist point of view, we are, we are not saying that that's, not a thing it's yeah. if you want to do that then we can facilitate that for you yeah mm, that's one of those i think that's another <laughs> question we need to ask our cohort is yeah. what are some of these stereotypes or perpetuated views on therapy that you would like to see um reinterpreted mm. that's another one of those questions that i'd like to put out there and yeah. you know Mm. That would be a really good question. And I just thought of another one after that. And it's like how it's probably not even related. I don't know why I thought about it. But how do how do they look after themselves? Um yeah, yeah after after work. And and how do they maintain a work life balance? Or like do they have one? Don't they have one? Like yeah. what do they want do they want to have more of one? Mm. Something around work life balance cuz mm. yeah, I don't I don't know. Like I struggle with it sometimes and i'm sure we're all in the same boat and i just like to listen to how other people do it or just even opening up that conversation because mm-hmm. it, it is important to have mm-hmm. and i think yeah. especially now when we are at home yes how do you how <laughs> do you compartmentalize <laughs> how do you compartmentalize the the working from home life really yeah. especially yeah. in a helping profession such as counseling yeah where, you know, if you are, let's say, working private practice on contract, you know, you go to your office, basically. Yeah. There's a physical distance between work and home. But when you're working from home, those worlds meld together. And if you are juggling a family, if you are juggling romantic relationships on top of that, how do you manage? Because mm. in my view, that is tough yeah i would say that's one of the very difficult things in this profession is to how do you not take the heavy emotional baggage from your clients yeah home yeah 
that's exactly that's one it. of those i think that's also one of those common sort of anxieties or fears mm. fears is um, an interesting way to put it but it's the most appropriate one i can think of right now for those of us who are studying in the helping profession is how do we just stop that from happening or how do if we can't stop it how do we acknowledge it exists and yeah. manage it in some way yeah because i know that one of the um potential answers to that is supervision mm. and supervision is really great but at the same time it's like what if it's on a day that you can't see your supervisor because like like i normally will book the session but mm. like who knows if the day after i've seen her something something goes. happens yeah. yeah and then it's like what what do we do then and i guess that you can always email them but it's i don't know it's different like just what are the ways that they handle it how would we navigate that then, yeah that way yeah because mm. i can see peer peer-to-peer support being one of those things that i think our the 2020 clinic cohort at qt will be looking at mm. using utilizing heavily i think yeah. Mm, that's one of those sort of things like we are all going through this together but how do we make sure that we are able to learn from each other outside of supervision yeah supervision is great and all i think um in my opinion but there needs to be something else that we can do because we can't also burden our supervisor yeah. it's the cycle because then they would see a supervisor yeah and then it goes on and on and on right <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's one of those things and i'm i'm curious to know if this will change um how we operate in terms of seeking out supervision and the types of supervision that we get mm. um and from an organizational point of view with um, our regulatory body how does that then affect or influence i guess our current practice yeah so i'll be curious to know mm. so yeah we've covered quite a bit yeah. um in this first episode which i like and i mean this is the joy about doing this one is it's not going to be too structured mm. um we get to basically look at stuff and unpack stuff from um yeah, from our counselling, um, through our counselling lens. So it's, yeah, um, not sure when we'll be doing the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, but is there anything else you'd like to touch on, I guess, before we start yeah. wrapping up? I do. Well, I, I wanted to ask a wrappy uppy question. Okay. <laughs> wrappy uppy. Okay. It is such a counselling question that <laughs> came to mind. Yes. It's just like, what, what stood out from this From episode? this one? Yeah that for me i think there's a lot more that we can cover we through a counseling lens we can unpack almost everything i think Mm. that's an opportunity that we can take as well so and that's sort of the reason why i wanted to do this in the first place yeah but covid19 is sort of accelerated a lot of other stuff around that as well so um mm, it's something that i've always been curious and wanted to do Mm. um now i think it's the perfect time to do it and provide the wider community with a lens you know with a perspective that is unique in a way yeah social constructionism is for for what it's worth it's it's the tradition has been around for what 40 50 years now yeah we're talking about postmodernism, social constructionism has about been around since the 60s so mm. the 
the basis of it has been around since the 60s. So it's it's pretty old <laughs> compared to us. Yeah, compared to but us. But <laughs> for the for the prevailing theories, it's you know kind of it's new. young. It's it's young. Yeah, compared to the you others. know when we're talking about things like Freud, Freud and Jung <laughs> and CBT. Yeah. Um, those are older traditions, and yeah. you know, it's one of those things. I think we need to, and it's also fun to understand where we sort of see things. Yeah. Mm, I'm actually really excited because you're right. Like, there's a lot of information out there about the other um, ways of therapy, and you know, the ones that have been put in things like The Simpsons. But it's cool that if we, even by just us sharing this, it's already breaking those those stereotypes of Mm. like, you know, it's just the couch and talk about your childhood. Yeah. Because now we're opening like up to the social construction side of it. Yeah. Which is one other side that is still quite yeah quite young compared mm. to the others. So. Mm. Yeah. But what has stood out for you? Um, what stood out for me? Hmm. I think what stood out to me is that that this process of like talking about about counselling mm-hmm. is really it's something that I think I've craved for a while because <laughs> I think I've felt I think I've felt a little bit um, detached. Uh, this might be coming from the whole I don't go to uni anymore too. It's uh, like I feel kind of detached because yeah, yeah, yeah. you know you have the com- the camaraderie and like the the peer mm-hmm. kind of stuff there, mm-hmm. and like I work with people now, but they're not necessarily counselors. Yeah. And th- I'm not just saying I want to just talk to counselors, but it's nice yeah. to speak to people that are also from the same um, like. Th- theory background like the social constructionist background yeah so i think that this has just highlighted to me that i really enjoy this kind of co- these kind of, of conversations mm-hmm. and it kind of also feels a bit peer, peer um supervisiony as well like, it's just cool like i really like just the idea of doing this and have this conversation with you mm-hmm. and it's made it's made me realize that i'm really excited to do the rest of it yeah yeah as am i and i'm i'm sure that the listeners will appreciate the other perspectives that we'll be getting throughout um for the rest of this show because it's it's one of those things like we also want to normalize a lot of the emotions and a lot of the feelings that's going on right now particularly with the pandemic yeah um we have questions that um people have asked me and i'll be yes We'll unpack those as as we go through the year. Yeah. Um, mm, but I'll be re- I'm really excited to, for this for this yeah. one. I can't wait to see what sort of reflections we get from you know our our um, colleagues, and I'll be curious to know what even um, what other stuff will be coming out mm. for this show as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you so much cool. for doing no this. Um, we'll definitely be doing this. I think like this sort of one-on-one catch-up sort of business yeah. quite regularly, I think. There yeah, be, be there's good. some stuff we might actually, yeah, be able to unpack and yes. then go on from there. But that is going to be it for this episode, and we'll see you guys next time. Yeah, bye. bye! Thanks for listening to this episode of Unpack This Brain. If you'd like to follow us, we are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search Unpack This Brain. If you'd like to send us any questions, feel free to do so. Use the hashtag UnpackThisBrain or send us a DM or send us an email, unpackthisbrain at gmail.com. This podcast was created by the lovely people over at Great Mates Podcast. Feel free to subscribe to any of our podcasts wherever you're listening. 
We'd also like to acknowledge the First Nations owners on whose lands we are creating this podcast. <laughs>